Hey friends, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministries, Church on the Road, and we're excited. I got my partner, Daryl Spicer, with me, and he's excited too. I'm excited because we're going to bring trailer trucking to the radio. We're a couple old trailer truckers, and our ministry is to the driver. But you know, that's the way it started, but all of a sudden we figured it out. It's not a truck driving ministry, it's a whosoever ministry. So we're going to hopefully enlighten you a little bit about the trucking industry, but more importantly, we want to bring Jesus to the drivers out there on the road and to you. So tune in for Church on the Road. up I'm driving when the sun goes down the hum of 18 wheels Lord that's a lonely sound I spend all day chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day I gotta see I gotta look around I got diesel smoke rolling From two chrome stacks My address is 408-414 A big blue mag Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day that I die I said hey and Leslie McKay, the McKay Project. I want you to do me a favor, friends, and give Dennis McKay a call, 662-889-2829. He is out of Columbus, Mississippi, but uh, he travels all over the country, and he would love to come to your church or your Christian event and order some of his great, great, great music. You'll be glad you did, I promise you that. 
They have been such dear friends of ours ever since we met several years ago now at the ICGMA Award Show. They are award-winning artists. That they are. And they're award-winning friends. Oh, man. Uh, They love the Lord. They love serving the Lord. You know, people do music for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, Most people do it for the money and the fame. Uh, They do it for the Lord. And they're such awesome people, so giving and helping and everything that we do with our ministry. They help us so much in so many ways when they come up to the truck shows in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Dallas, Texas. Walcott, Walcott, Iowa. Iowa this year, they're going to be out there in a booth with us. So be searching for us and looking for us. So many ministries has come alongside Channel 21, Lonesome Road Ministries, uh, to build this threefold cord ministry. And one of them is a fellow by the name of Tim Lee. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're about to hear a testimony of a man's man. Let me rephrase that. A man's man's man. <laughs> this this man has honor. When you look at him, you think of the American flag because he, he's such an, a, a true American. A straight down the road. I'd hate to make this man mad in his day. Probably even today I'd hate to ha- make him mad. I wouldn't want to do it today. No, I know <laughs> it. He's the John Wayne of ministry. Yes, sir. He certainly is. If you've ever seen a Marine, you've seen Tim Lee. He is a Marine. They're tough. They're rough. They have a standard about them like no other. But then when you take that Marine and you make and you find him as a man of God, yeah, it just blesses your heart. And and, and I'll tell you, when you listen to his story, uh, you're you're just you're going to be amazed, and you're not going to want to shut it down. So make sure you got plenty of time to listen to this testimony. And, but first, we got a couple patriotic songs we need to play for you to set the stage for this powerful, powerful testimony. And this is James Payne, and nobody writes songs like James Payne. Here is The Flag. George Washington carried me across the Delaware I was raised on Iwo Jima with bombs bursting in the air I was at the Alamo down in San Antonio It looked like I would fall that day But Texas kept fighting on I am the flag Red, white, and blue They call me Old Glory Cause I've been tried and true I stand for liberty I've been hated and I've been praised Though they burn me in the streets Oh, I will still be raised I am America I'm faded and I'm warm But I'm still flying high Cause I've weathered every storm I will not die I was born to fly I am the flag I'm in the hands of every mother Whose loved one paid the price They draped me over heroes Who fought and gave their life 
I'm waving over Arlington, that sacred field of stone. I'm the voice of the fall that never made it home. I am the flag. I'm the old red, white, and blue. They call me old glory, cause I've been tried and true. I stand for liberty. I've been praised Though they burn me in the streets Though I will still be raised I am America I'm faded and I'm worn But I'm still flying high Cause I've weathered every storm I will not die I was born to fly That dead Gettysburg Four score, seven years ago Greatest words I ever heard It seems somehow forgotten Here in the USA The blood that was shed So I can proudly wave I will not die I was born to fly I am the flag. What an awesome song by our good friend James Payne, and of course, that song went to number one. Uh, James Payne has written over 60 number one songs, and here's another number one song by James Payne called God Bless America Again. There's a man down on the corner holding a sign. You know I think he's right Says the end of time Saw a newsman on TV In a Colorado town Telling how some madman Shot innocent people down God, I hate to think what lies ahead We don't get back to the Bible Start doing what Jesus said We gotta pray Like we've never prayed before We gotta fight Like a soldier in a war Take a stand Every woman and every man Down on our knees We gotta beg and plead We can't give up we can't give in Till God blesses America again I wonder what old Thomas Jefferson would say If he could come back from the grave And talk to us today 
Would he tell us that this country is just what he had in mind? Or would repent and turn to God be the words he cried? All of this low living comes with a high cost And America needs to wake up before everything is lost We gotta pray like we've never prayed before We gotta fight like a soldier in a war Take a stand Every woman and every man down on our knees We gotta beg and plead We can't give up We can't give in Till God blesses America again It's time to put the Ten Commandments Back on the courthouse square God's word back in our schools Open every day with prayer Let all the preachers Start preaching against sin And maybe then Maybe then God bless America again Maybe then America again. All right, friends, and now we've got that powerful, powerful testimony by Tim Lee. Thank you so very much. Connie, stand over here and let the folks meet you. This is my wife, Connie. Would you make her feel welcome? This morning, she's been traveling with me now for the past three years. She almost single-handedly raised our three children, and they're all gone from home. I've heard parents talk about how sad it was when their kids all left home. We're having the time of our life. <laughs> Four grandchildren, we got a brand new one last week, and they've turned our life upside down. I told them the other day the reason we grandparents worry so much about our grandchildren, we know who's raising them. <laughs> we took our oldest with us about a year ago to Houston. She was only three at the time. And when we got to church on Sunday morning, she said, Papa, I want to go to big church. She'd never been to big church. So I said, all right, you can go to big church. Grandparents can let grandkids do things that parents won't let them do. And uh, that's why we're grand. And so... Um, and so she's sitting on the front row and I said now Papa he's going to get up and go preaching a little bit you sit back, back here by Mamaw she said okay out came this huge choir and then came the pastoral staff and, and, and her eyes got real big and then where four or five rows could hear her she hollered out Papa where's Jesus <laughs> that's a good sermon <laughs> and she'd been hearing mom and daddy say they were going to go into big church and hearing about Jesus and so she wanted to see Jesus. She was in the backseat of the car the other day. Her mother had one of those praise tapes on, and they were singing, He is exalted, the King is exalted. At the top of her lungs, Emma Nicole was singing, He is exhausted, the King is exhausted. <laughs> her mother said, Well, he might be after taking care of us. I want you to look in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. 
This is not really my message this morning. I want to share just a few minutes of thoughts with you. I call it Making America Remember. Oftentimes I'm asked the question, did any good thing come from the Vietnam War? And as evidenced by what has happened the last three weeks in Iraq, I can tell you that yes, something good came from the Vietnam War. We learned how not to fight a war. And we're learning how to win wars. And that's why you go to war. You don't go to war to uh, draw a line in the sand so you can have this and we'll have this. You go to war to win and to, and to win all out. And so, so that is one good thing. And then the fact that I had my life changed and turned around is another thing. And I'm going to share that with you again in just a few moments as well. Is there any mention in the Bible what happened to America? On September the 11th, 2001, why are we in Iraq? Why are we in Afghanistan? Why are we on high alert right now in America? Because of September the 11th, 2001. There's no direct reference to the Bible, but I want you to notice this Revelation 18 and verse number 17. For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried, when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And in many ways, New York City is a great city. I realize with most large cities, it has its sin and its wickedness. But nevertheless, it's a beautiful city in a lot of different ways. Con and I was there four weeks to the day, September the 11th, before September the 11th. And I have a good friend that plays baseball for the New York Yankees, Andy Pettit. I preach for his father-in-law near Houston just about every year, and he and his wife, Laura, love the Lord, and then Laura loved the Lord. They got us some tickets to the Yankees. We watched the Yankees. We saw a Broadway play and took in some of the other sites of the city. It's a beautiful city. On September the 11th, that morning, I was in my bedroom doing some exercises when Connie came to tell me that a plane had flown inside of the World Trade Center. I got into the family room just in time to see the second plane hit the other tire. I told my wife, the first words out of my mouth, I said, we are at war. We have been attacked. My children called all upset that day. We didn't go to the office. My kids came over. They brought our grandchildren. I watched as Emma and Allie and Reed played around in the family room in front of the television without a clue about what was going on in this world. And tears ran down my face that day, and I cried as I thought, this is not the America that I want for my children. And this is not the America that I want for my grandchildren. I cried many tears that day, and I've shed many, many tears since that day. And they cast dust on their heads, verse 19. And you remember those people, hundreds and thousands, fleeing those tires covered in the soot and the dust, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 9. And verse number 11, 9, 11. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel, the bottomless pit, whose name of the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but of the Greek tongue hath his name Apollon. The word Apollon means to destroy, the destroyer. And Osama bin Laden had one purpose in mind when he ordered the attack on America on September the 11th, and that was to try to destroy America to try to destroy our way of life. But Osama bin Laden misunderstood and misunderestimated several things. First of all, my wife said if he 
really wanted to hurt America, instead of attacking the World Trade Center, he would have attacked all the Walmarts in America, and then we would have all been in trouble. <laughs> but America's not her skyscrapers or her great big factory buildings or interstate highway systems. It's not even her majestic mountains and her beautiful lakes and rivers, but America is her people. We are America. And although we argue and fuss among ourselves a great deal from time to time, when an outsider came to attack us, we came together. It blessed my heart to see those Democrats and Republicans hold hands on the nation's capital steps and sing, God bless America. And I realize it'll take more than singing a song to bring America back to God. But at that time, we could show the world that we could be united, that we could come together. 92% of the American people supported our president in his initial war on terrorism. 92%. The other 8% live in Berkeley, California. <laughs> but God in his sovereignty and his divine leadership gave us the exact leadership that we would need at this point in time for America. Those poor people down in West Palm Beach thought that the election was all a mistake. But it was no mistake. They complained about how difficult those ballots were to understand. And those are the same people that go to a bingo parlor on Friday night and have eight different bingo cards sitting in front of them. <laughs> so you can figure it out. But God makes no mistakes. Connor and I are from Texas. Most of us in Texas knew. By the way, most of the people in Texas are appreciative and grateful that our president is from the great state of Texas. There, there's, a, there's a chick or two that maybe I don't understand everything, but, but, um, but we knew what we were getting before he became president. He was our governor for several years, but even before he was governor, even before he ran for governor, he came to the church where Connie and I members and spoke to over 1,500 teenagers and gave his testimony and told what Jesus Christ had done in his life. This wasn't something that he had to put together when he decided that he was going to run for president. This was something that was genuine and real in his heart and life. They asked him in the Iowa primaries who his hero was, and he had the courage to tell them that his hero was Jesus Christ. And if he would have said his hero was Gandhi or some other great religious leader from the past, they would have thought that was wonderful. But because he said his hero was Jesus, they began to try to portray him as some kind of a bumbling fool. But he's not a bumbling fool. He's a man who loves God, gets his wisdom from God and from the Word of God. It's been a long time since I've been this proud of a president. Matter of fact, it goes back... <clears throat> It goes back, to the, uh, goes back to the days of Ronald Reagan. I told him the other day in St. Louis, I'd rather have Ronald Reagan with all times have what we had those last eight years. <laughs> and so God's given us the leadership. You think about this administration, this Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld. Don't you love this guy? Man, he don't mince with words. We was into the bombing in Afghanistan, and one of them reporters asked him, said, why are we dropping so many bombs on Afghanistan? He looked right back at that reporter and he said, we're trying to kill those people. <laughs> Why do you think we're dropping bombs for? Our Attorney General, John Ashcroft, it is he who said, Osama bin Laden requires that you give your son for his God, but it's our God who's already given his son for you and I. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not the time for Christians to be weak. This is not the time to be backing up. You're going to hear more and more of the terms that 
They want you and I to be more inclusive and more tolerant of other faiths and other religions. I don't mind people coming from other countries to live in America. If I live in some of those third world countries, I'd probably be trying to come and live here too. But my friend, let me help you. If you come to America from another country and you get over here and you decide that you don't like our Judeo-Christian principles, do us all a favor and go back where you came from. I was invited to Camp Lejeune to speak. It was right after November, uh, September the 11th, and I actually thought that the crusade would be canceled. I was invited there to speak for three days, five and six times a day. But General Myers, the commanding general who met President Bush just the other day at Camp Lejeune, uh, told me, he said, we're ready mentally, we're ready physically, and now we want to be ready spiritually. And so... Uh, how, how many Marines do we have here this morning? Hold up your hand if you're a Marine. All right. There's not a whole lot, but you got to remember it don't take a whole lot either. All right. And, uh, and two weeks before I got there, Chaplain Mozon, the head chaplain, uh, called me and I could tell he was a little nervous. I had agreed to speak at the Marine Corps prayer breakfast, which is a major big event for the Marine Corps, the week of the Marine Corps birthday. And I had agreed. I knew it was going to be an ecumenical event. And he told me, he said, now, Reverend Lee, they'd asked me to send them some of my preaching tapes, and I did, and I guess they actually listened to them. And, and I've been known to tell the truth when I preach. I kind of think preachers ought to tell the truth when they preach, all right? And so he said, now, he said, you know, we've got this prayer breakfast, and we've got a Jewish rabbi, and he's going to pray and say a few words. And uh, then we've got a Muslim cleric, and he's going to pray and say a few words. And he said, now, Reverend Lee, we don't want to offend anyone. I said, look, you call those other two fellows back and tell them not to worry about offending me at all. <laughs> Why are they always worried about the other guy? You know whose faith is under attack in America? It's the Christian faith. And so this is the time to let our light shine. This is the time to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that God wants us to be. I was raised in a pastor's home. My father's been a Southern Baptist pastor now for 54 years preaching God's word. My mother, a godly Christian woman. We went to church Sunday morning. We went back on Sunday night. We went back on Wednesday night. I told a group of young people the other day I was on drugs Whenever I was nine years old, mom and dad drug us to church on Sunday morning, and they drug us back on Sunday night. Every time the doors were open, we went to church. At the age of 10, in the North City Baptist Church in North City, Illinois, Sunday morning, a second on the second row, on the right-hand side, and I heard dad preach. And as he preached that morning, I got under conviction. As a 10-year-old boy, I realized I was lost. My dad was saved. My mom was saved. My sister was a Christian, but I had never been saved. And that morning during the message, I was miserable. All I could see was hell. Someone said you ought not to get saved just to stay out of hell. Maybe not, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. <laughs> I went forward, knelt at an altar, repented of my sins, received Christ as my Savior, and I got born into the family of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, young people, there's a lot of great things about salvation. But I believe perhaps the best is the fact that it's eternal. When God does something, he does it right. God doesn't save you and put you out on a limb somewhere and tell you to make it if you can. When he saves you, he gives you eternal, everlasting life. You say, well, Tim, if I thought that was true, if I thought I could become a Christian, and then no matter what I did or where I went or whatever happened in my life, I would always be saved? Well, I would become a Christian then and I'd live the way I wanted to and it wouldn't make any difference. But you see, friend, you can't do that. And that's what my story is about. 
I lived for the Lord for some time, was excited, told my friends and relatives what had happened in my life. However, when I became a teenager, something else happened in my life. It never happened overnight, but rather gradually, I began to put things before God. Football, basketball, baseball, track and field, they soon became my gods. And Dad told me, son, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God. And then it's wrong. I didn't want to listen to that. And little by little, I put these things before the Lord in my life. And when I did, I began to have problems. I began to rebel. I rebelled at school. I rebelled against God. I rebelled against mom and dad. You say, well, Tim, what did your parents do when you rebelled? Mom and dad had never read any of Dr. Spock's books on child psychology. Dr. Spock believed that if a child was frustrated, whatever it took to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wants to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that'll help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. Well, my dad had other ways of getting that frustration out. <laughs> we lived on a farm for a while, and back behind the farmhouse was a willow tree. I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but you don't get any fruit off of them, and they're not a real good shade tree. The only thing they're good for is getting switches off of them. About the only praying I did back in those days was for that willow tree to die, and that thing never did die. <laughs> I'd have to go out and get my own switch and bring it back. And man, I'd be hurting before I got back because I knew what was about to happen. And mom and dad, they would always talk to us kids before they spanked us. And they'd say something like this. Now, Tim, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. I thought, isn't that dumb? If you give me that switch, I'll show you who it's going to hurt the worst. <laughs> I said oftentimes, even before I joined the Marines, that I served under the stars and the stripes. My dad furnished the stripes and I saw the stars. But they believed in old-fashioned discipline. But many times, I would slip out behind their back to do what I wanted to do. I attended public school. Most of my friends were not saved. Most of their parents were not Christians. And I made up my mind as a teenager that I could live my own life. My junior year in high school, I set two track records, one the long jump, one the high hurdles, winning ribbons and trophies and medals, but all the time getting further and further away from God. You say, well, Tim, what did God do? God declares in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I saw five of my high school friends killed in car wrecks. Every time I'd see one of them in a casket, I knew that it could have very easily been me. God would speak to my heart, but I wouldn't listen. I kept running. I kept rebelling. I graduated from high school, started going to college the day, working nights, in the meantime, my life became one disaster after another. I thought that it surely couldn't get any worse, but it wasn't long till I got fired from my job. I got kicked out of school. Nowhere to go and nothing to do and again my life full of confusion. I was walking down the street in my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois. I went by the post office. I noticed a sign. I'd seen this sign on numerous occasions, but it never got my attention like it did that day. It was a picture of a young man in a sharp-looking uniform. And up the top of the sign, it said, the Marines are looking for a few good men. I didn't know who the rest of them were, but I went in and told that recruiter that I had found what he was looking for. Now, young people, to be real frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted a change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed and what time to get out of bed. And <laughs> I was tired of being told how to get my hair cut and I was just tired of being told what I could do and what I could not do, so I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> it wasn't the most intelligent thing I ever did. <laughs> they put me on a Greyhound bus, sent me to Paris Island, South Carolina. 
I got off that bus, stepped out those yellow footprints. I met that guy they called drill instructor. I was there less than 24 hours when I decided I didn't like him and he didn't like me. But you know the real reason why I didn't like him? Because he was in authority and I didn't like authority. I was rebellious toward all authority. But I was soon to discover that no matter where I would ever go in this life, there would always be authority with God being the supreme in authority. I laid awake nights, many nights, platoon 305, thinking about my life, thinking about my friends back home. You know what kind of friends I had? When the money was gone, the booze was gone, the good times were gone, my friends were gone too. They weren't really my friends. I thought about the shame and the disgrace that I had brought to my dad's ministry and to my own family. My attitude began to change in boot camp. The Marines had some things to help a change. But I graduated from boot camp with a meritorious promotion. To ITR, then to engineering school at Camp Lejeune, graduated from engineering school with another meritorious promotion. It was there that I received my orders that I was to go to South Vietnam. I had three weeks leave. I went home to Illinois and spent those three weeks with mom and dad. On Sunday, before I was leave on Monday, I went to church with my parents, and in the service that day, I thought that I'd made things right with God. On Monday, mom and dad drove me to St. Louis. I got on that plane, that big jet, no more got off the runway. I told God that I couldn't do it. Those men were Marines. I was afraid they'd laugh at me. I was afraid they'd make fun of me. I went to South Vietnam, was there for nine months. I didn't go back to doing a lot of the things that I'd done before, but friend, if you're not for God, you're against him. There's no middle ground for the Christian. You're either helping the cause of Christ or you're hurting the cause of Christ. I had opportunity after opportunity to live for God. My mother sent me a Bible. On the inside of that Bible, she wrote these words, Tim, this Bible can keep you from sin, or sin can keep you from this Bible. The Bible that my mother sent to me when I was in Vietnam is the Bible that I'm holding in my hands this morning. I never read it. As a matter of fact, I put it in the bottom of my footlocker. I had no testimony. I had no prayer life. There was a black Marine in my squad by the name of Lee Gore. Corporal Lee Gore and I flew to Nam on the same plane. We were the best of friends. He was a Christian living for God. I was saved, but I was running from God. Oftentimes, I'd seen him sit down to Edgar's rack and read his Bible. I'd seen him openly witness and talk to other Marines about the Lord. And I knew that was the story and the life that I was supposed to live, but I wouldn't do it. I kept running. I kept rebelling. Thirty days left in Nam, my top sergeant offered me a desk job. That meant I didn't have to go back out to the field, to the bush anymore, and that was where the danger was at. But for some reason, I told him I'd rather spend the rest of my time with my own men. I was told to take them on a mine sweep. I've been on a lot of mine sweeps. The only thing particularly different about this one was that most of my men were new in Vietnam. The only train that most of them had on a mine sweep was what they'd gotten back in the States. And that was a lot different than walking an actual mine sweep. I got my men together early that morning, March the 8th, 1971. I told my men that day that I would walk point men. Point man was the very first man in the squad. They'd be 15, 20 meters and another Marine. 15, 20 meters and another Marine. And we'd be staggered out in that kind of formation. Normally, I would have been in the back of the squad with the radium and the corpsman and the lieutenant. I wasn't trying to be a hero or anything like that. Simply trying to show my men how to walk point. Our job was to locate landmines, punching pits, rounds that had not yet been detonated and to clear the area of those devices. We walked that morning without any problems. We found a couple of rounds, we detonated them. We stopped at noon hour to eat. While I was eating, my friend Lee Gore asked me if I wanted him to take over as point man. Gore could have very easily have done it. 
He was as well trained, as well equipped as I was. But for some reason, I told him I would finish out the day. And then on tomorrow, he could show the new men how to do it. We picked up where we left off from. 45 minutes later, I stepped on a 60-pound box mine. It blew me in the air. I was unconscious. For just a few moments, I realized that I had been hit. I didn't know how serious it was. It was in a lot of pain. There was a lot of confusion. In the midst of all the commotion, the midst of my hurt, I looked up and my head was laying in the lap of that black Marine, Corporal Lee Gore. Lee wasn't cussing the president or the communists or the Vietnamese or no one else, but rather with tears running down his face. He was openly and out loud praying and asking God to help me. And I can remember today as though it happened just a few short moments ago, Quangnam Province, a little after 1.30 in the afternoon. I looked up that day and I made God a promise. The promise was something like these simple words, God, if you'll let me live and get back home to mom and dad, I'll do with my life what you want me to do. Well, I have made God so many promises on so many other occasions, but I never meant it like I meant it that day. It came with a medevac chopper carrying me to the hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary. Second day I was on that ship, two naval doctors gave up hope. Infection had set in, run a high degree temperature, a lot of complications. They never expected me to live. I lay there two weeks unconscious most of the time. They took me to the island of Guam, the naval hospital, where I spent the next two weeks unconscious most of that time. I weighed 187 pounds before I was hit. The island of Guam, I weighed a little less than 80 pounds. During that first four-week period, Mom and Dad received visits from the Marines and the Red Cross and numerous telegrams from all that they had been told. They never expected to see the oldest son alive again. They brought me back to the States, to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight months, 13 major operations. When the doctors were through, when all the surgery was finished, I had three inches remaining on my right leg, 11 inches on my left leg, but no other part of my body was hurt. Some would tell us today that it was nothing more than an accident. But I remind you, friend, that with God, there are no accidents. God was not asleep on March the 8th, 1971. You see, as a 10-year-old boy, I said yes to Christ. But as a teenager, I decided that I could live my own life. And I made a choice, a deliberate choice to run. And I ran, and I ran, and I ran until March the 8th, 1971, when the running was over. I went home from the hospital to my dad's church in southern Illinois. I went forward and publicly made things right. It was in that church that I met Connie. We fell in love with each other and were soon married. It wasn't long after we were married that God called me to preach. Friends and even relatives tried to discourage me. They said it would be so hard, so difficult, but I said, if that's what God wants me to do, then that's what I'll do. I pastored for five years in southern Illinois, and now my 25th year as an evangelist, I've had the privilege to speak in every state with the exception of one, many, many foreign countries preaching God's Word. And I'm going to tell you today, like I've said on so many occasions, the last 30-plus years of my life have absolutely been the happiest years of my life. You say, but Tim, you're in a wheelchair. Your legs are gone. I'm in a wheelchair. However, I'm in the will of God, and that makes all the difference in the world. Job said in chapter 5 and verse 17, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Tim, are you trying to tell us that God would do something like that to a person? God doesn't necessarily do things to us. He does things for us because he loves us and because he cares for us and because we are his children. You're here today saved, but out of the will of God. 
I plead with you today, friend, don't leave the doors of this building until you make it right. And there may be a great number of people listening to my voice right now who have never been saved. I mean, you've, life has never been changed by the power of God. You don't know that if you were to die in the next five minutes where you're at, that you would go to heaven. Would you listen on purpose? The next 90 seconds or so, it may very well be the most important words that you'll ever hear in your entire life. 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son to this earth. God didn't have 20 sons. God didn't have two sons. God had one son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth born of a virgin. He lived on this earth when it had 33 sinless spotless years. He did no wrong. And then one day, he walked up Calvary's hill, willingly laid down his life for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. He hung upon a cross suspended between heaven and earth. And upon that cross, he shed his blood. And upon that cross, he died. They took him off the cross and they carried him and they put him in a borrowed tomb. And ladies and gentlemen, young people right here is what separates Christianity from every other single religion on the face of the earth. For if you were to go to the place where they put the body of Jesus, you wouldn't find him. He's not there. On the third day, he got up from the grave victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell, and he lives forevermore. And, he's, and, he, says, and he says to them who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past has in it. If you come to Jesus today, he'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll wash them away as white as snow. He'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. He'll cast them into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered against you. I'm not talking about being a Baptist. This Baptist pastor sitting on this platform be the first person in this room to tell you that being a Baptist won't take you to heaven. It's not being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Church of Christ or Assembly of God or a Catholic or any other denomination or any other religion, but rather it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can have that relationship right here today. Come to this moment in your life to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Realize that you cannot save yourself, but you're willing to turn to Christ. And the moment that you, by faith, say yes to Jesus, you become his child for all eternity. Wouldn't you like to know that when you die, you spend eternity with God forever? I want you to bow your heads right where you're at. I'm going to ask that no one leave the building. I'm going to ask that no one disturb the service. The invitation will be different this morning than perhaps you're normally used to. I want to ask our counselors and personal workers just to wait for a few moments. I want you to do me a favor right now, friend. I want you to draw an imaginary circle around yourself right now in your mind. No one to the right, no one to the left, just you and me and God. I want to ask you today, friend, to be honest. Honest with yourself and honest with God and honest with this evangelist. How many in this room today would say, Tim, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. If I died in the next five minutes in this seat where I'm at, I'd go to heaven just as sure I was already there. I'm saved, and I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. Let me see your hand as a way of testimony. Put them up high. Oh, my. Oh, my. What a beautiful sight. You can take them down, friend. And Christian, don't you ever be ashamed or embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question and for you to give testimony. There were some who could not raise their hand and I want to tell you, I appreciate you being honest. You could have raised your hand when others raised theirs, but you didn't do that. And in a moment, I want you to let me pray for you. 
Before I do that, I want to speak to all those who just now raised their hand. How many would say, Tim, I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. But the truth of the matter is, I know there's things in my own life that are not right with God. There are things in my own life the Lord is not pleased with. There are things that I too need to get settled with God. And Tim, God spoke to my heart today. I don't want to run. I don't want to rebel. Pray for me today that I can have these things right between me and God. Let me see your hands all over this room. All over this room. Scores and scores and scores of hands. You can take them down. I want to give the invitation today that I give somewhere across America nearly every Sunday of the year. Sometimes eight or 9,000, sometimes 150 or less. In a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing one, maybe two verses. That's all. I'm going to ask every one of you, if you were serious, if you meant it when you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come and stand right here in front of me today. We're going to pray together. God's going to do something in your life right here this morning. Counselors, personal workers, staff, I want you to come and stand with the people when they come. But I don't want you to talk to anybody. Don't even pray with anyone until after I pray and give instruction. And you'll understand why in just a moment. Hey, I wonder this morning if there are those in this room who would say, Tim, I've been saved, but I've not been baptized since I was saved. And I know I need to be baptized. Maybe you were saved last Sunday or in a revival crusade or in your home, but you've never followed the Lord and believed his baptism. You say, Tim, I know I need to be baptized. And God commands that in his word, pray for me concerning this commitment of baptism. Would you slip your hand up this morning? Just slip them up high. God bless you and God bless you. There are several hands and up in the balcony. You can take them down. Friend, I want to encourage you all to come and stand here as well today. I'll help you to make that commitment if you'll come and stand here. They'll baptize you tonight or next Sunday if you want your family and friends to be here. But you need to come today and make the commitment. Now, right before we sing, I want to ask the most important question. Where will you spend eternity? You not only have a soul, you are a soul. You're going to live forever. Either in heaven or in hell. Dependent upon what you do with Christ. I won't embarrass you, friend. I wouldn't do that for anything in the world. But do you care enough about yourself to let a preacher pray for you today? How many in this room today would say, Tim, I'm not 100% for sure. If I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I certainly don't want to go to hell. I care enough to ask a preacher to pray for me. Tim, include me in that prayer. No one looking, would you slip your hands up across the building right now? God bless you, lady. God bless you, sir. And God bless you, ma'am. Others, just slip them up high in the balcony and down below. I see your hand way up high. Are there others quietly and reverently? Just put them up. Take them right back down. Numbers of hands. Friend, this could be the greatest day in your whole life. If you'll do today what God wants you to do. Well, friends, we told you that this was a powerful, powerful message. And I know that each and every one of you had to make a decision today. You may have been saved for a long, long time. You may have never been saved. You may not be sure if you're saved. Are you away from God? Would you like to get closer to God than you've ever been? It's as simple as saying a little prayer, asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart. We want to pray with you. It's time to get serious with God. It's not just your soul that is affected by the decision you're making today. If you have children at home, if you have a spouse at home, if you have friends that are looking to you for some type of leadership, 
because you could take them wherever you go. And don't you want to take them to meet Jesus? All you got to do is pray a simple little prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I want to do more. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. Take out my stony heart and give me a brand new heart. I will live for you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Drivers, if you said that prayer, we encourage you to give us a call. You can call me, Daryl Spicer, at 615-663-3199. Or give me a call, Chaplain Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministries, 618-383-2107. We want to help you. I stood in the rain today in New York Harbor Watched raindrops fall from the ladies' eyes Does she really know how bad this country's hurting? What would she do if the Statue of Liberty could cry? Would that be tears instead of rain that I see falling From her eyes as she watches freedom die Would she still believe enough in God and country To raise that torch so high up in the sky Or would she step down from her stand Put her face in her hands And pray that God would reach down from on high What would she do If this statue of liberty could cry? She could see all the homes and the broken Innocent kids that die before their time If she had a heart like mine Would it be breaking? What would she do If the Statue of Liberty could cry? Would that be tears instead of rain That I see falling? From her eyes as she watches freedom die Would she still believe enough in God and country To raise that torch so high up in the sky Or would she step down from her stand Put her face in her hands And pray that God would reach down from on high what would she do if this statue of liberty cried? She's just a lady made of stone, but America is her home. And as I watch her standing there alone, 
is that tears instead of rain that I see falling from her eyes as she watches freedom die. Does she still believe enough in God and country to raise that torch so high in the sky? Or would she step down from her stand, put her face in her hands, and pray that God would reach down from on high? What would she do if this statue of liberty could cry? What would she do if this statue of liberty could cry? Drivers, my friend Gary Rayburn has a song and testimony called At the Foot of the Tree that Dennis McKay uh, recorded for Gary and did an awesome job. And just like Gary Rayburn, if you said that prayer, then you've got a testimony. So let's go to the foot of the tree. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken-hearted and lonesome, so long I've been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree. Those eighteen wheels are rolling. On that old lonesome road And I shared the good news Wherever I go Yes, there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be And I tell everybody What's happened to me How I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past but I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree 
And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree you prayed this prayer, you need to call somebody. Call your spouse, call your pastor, call somebody, or call us at Channel 21 Ministries, or you can call Gary Rayburn at Lonesome Road Ministries at 618-383-2107. Now that you've called on Jesus, give us a call so we can celebrate with you. Have a good day and a good night. Be careful out there. I walked through a county courthouse square On a park bench an old man was sitting there I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down He said, no, nah, it'll do for our little town I said, your old flagpole has leaned a little bit And that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it He said, have a seat, and I sat down Is this the first time you've been to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag when Washington took it across the Delaware. 
And it got powder burned the night Francis Scott Keyes sat watching it and writing, Oh, say, can you see? It got a bad rip in New Orleans with Packingham and Jackson tugging at the seams. It almost fell at the Alamo beside the Texas flag, but she waved on through. She got cut with a sword at Chancellorville, and she got cut again at Shallow Hill. There was Robert E. Lee, Beauregard, and Bragg, and the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag. On Flanders Field in World War I, she got a big hole from a Bertha gun. She turned blood red in World War II. She hung limp and low a time or two. She was in Korea and Vietnam. She went where she was sent by Uncle Sam. She waved from our ships upon the briny foam, and now they're about to quit taking her back here at home. In her own good land where she's been abused, she's been burned, dishonored, denied, and refused. And the government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. And she's getting threadbare and wearing thin, but she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Because she's been through the fire before, and I believe she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning, we take her down every night. We don't let her touch the ground, son, and we fold her up just right. On second thought, I do like to brag, because I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag. <laughs>